From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, November 2nd. The federal government may fund a civilian climate corps. It recalls the Civilian Conservation Corps, which put millions of young men to work in the outdoors during the Great Depression. Justin Higginbottom reports on conservation work in Moab that could fit in with this new climate mission. Spencer Erickson is bent over a chainsaw in the Scott and Norma Matheson Wetlands Preserve in Moab. His enemy, invasive Russian olive trees. Hot saw! Uh, they're giant, gnarly, thorny-looking trees. Erickson is a member of the Utah Conservation Corps. He's from Pennsylvania, and getting to stand in these wetlands with a chainsaw is kind of why he joined. And yeah, I just kind of wanted to get back into like the field I was doing, like some bartending and stuff, but I just wanted to get back into like the outdoor world and making the world a little bit better. In the program, he's met people from around the country, and he's learned about Utah's unique ecology. You know, how the Utah landscape is supposed to kind of work and function. It's interesting to be out here and understand the, like, ecosystem a lot better, how things function in how they're supposed to function and how they, you know, aren't necessarily always exactly how they should be. And yeah, Jake how- Deloria is the projects and partnership coordinator for the Corps. He says the group's mission is pretty broad. Oh, we do just about anything. Our mission is to develop the conservation leaders of tomorrow. We do that through field crews and individual placements. They do things like riparian restoration, fuels reduction, mapping, and trail work. Anything that natural resource agencies need, we will put crews out to do, and in hopes that next generation, there'll be some highly trained individuals to go take those jobs and continue the efforts. While this state's conservation corps was created in 2001, it's a distant relative of the nation's civilian conservation corps. That New Deal program was only open to single men between the ages of 18 and 25. More than two million workers planted billions of trees and developed hundreds of state and national parks. Here's Neil Maher, an historian who has written about the CCC. We have to remember that, first of all, the public saw it as an absolute success. It was probably the most popular New Deal program of all. You know, it took these young men who were often undernourished and sort of unemployed and and it took them and it, it rejuvenated them through you know, manual labor outdoors in American nature. Around Moab, the Corps helped build Arches National Park. Workers housed in Dalton Wells stimulated the local economy. All that said, there were serious problems with the program. Environmentally, some of their work destroyed ecosystems and was damaging to the environment. They drained swamps and planted monocultures and spread invasive species. A week after coming to office, President Biden signed an executive order creating something called the Civilian Climate Corps. Although details are slim, the new group will focus on mitigating climate change. In that sense, he understands that the new program will have to really listen to scientists, whereas in the 30s, sometimes the program did not listen to those ecologists. It will focus on environmental justice, which doesn't only happen in the wilderness. And it'll be inclusive not just relying on single young men. For this to work, Maher thinks the core can't be controlled from Washington like the CCC. Local communities should have a say in the projects. Otherwise, if it's, if it's still top-down, we're going to still have a lot of the inequalities that played out in the 1930s. A new and improved CCC is popular. According to polling from Data for Progress, 79% of likely voters support reviving the core. 
Deloria from the Utah Conservation Corps says his group would fit nicely with the Climate Corps' mission. Where we fit into the Civilian Climate Corps is trying to dovetail into the things that we already do, such as fuels reduction and habitat restoration. We've talked to our colleagues around the country in all the other cores around the country, as well as the state of Utah to see how we can, how we can fit into that. The Climate Corps is included in the reconciliation bill making its way through Congress. It could get billions in funding. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. Boulder, Colorado has had a tight housing market for decades, and the pandemic has only further limited affordability and availability. But in a city with strict growth limits, many are looking to add housing in their own backyards, often quite literally. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Lucy Haggard looks into accessory dwelling units as one way to solve the dual crises of cost and stock. Ed Levy dreamed of living in Boulder for years, often taking 80-mile round-trip drives to visit the city. When she underwent a few major life changes, she decided it was time to move here. The question then became how to afford living in Boulder, a city notorious for a few housing options and a high cost of living. Around that time, Kurt and Kristen Nordback were building an accessory dwelling unit, or ADU, in their North Boulder backyard. One lucky day, with the ADU almost finished, Kurt was standing outside right as Levy drove by. Levy was thrilled. So I found him outside, and I approached him, and one thing led to another, and here I am. With Boulder's limits on both upward and outward growth, adding housing options means filling in the gaps between existing units. Accessory dwelling units can do that, countering the dual crises of housing affordability and availability, while generally following the aesthetics and amenities of the city. As a secondary dwelling unit to a main house, an ADU has all the components of any other residence, including a kitchen, bathroom, and sleeping quarters. ADUs can be attached to the main dwelling, such as in a basement or above a garage, or detached, often in the backyard. The Nordbacks have lived in Boulder on and off their whole life, but Kurt says his family wouldn't be able to move here today given the high cost of living and minimal housing options. We do a pretty good job of of creating deed-restricted, income-qualified affordable housing, and we do a pretty good job of building 4,000-square-foot McMansions, and we don't do a good job of filling in the middle, and we haven't done that for a long time. The size of an ADU can vary in Boulder, with both detached and attached ADUs up to 1,000 square feet, depending on if they are zoned as permanently affordable units or if they are in a historic district. Some people may be skeptical about downsizing from a traditional house to a unit a third of that size. But for many others, the space fits their lifestyle perfectly. Since moving to Boulder in December, 80-year-old Levy spends much of her time out and about, often walking her Bernese mountain dog, Rupert. She came out as queer earlier this year and is enjoying making friends with folks in the area. It's a time of rebirth for her. This is the perfect place for me. I go out, I go to events, so I've got a new life. The city of Boulder did loosen some of its ADU regulations in 2018, including allowing more ADUs to be built near one another. There's no clear way to tell the maximum capacity for ADUs in Boulder, but city officials say that there's still more potential to build before most neighborhoods become saturated. Some advocates would like to see even more flexibility in the rules, as well as a faster approval process. But change is happening already. Since 2018, more than 200 ADUs have been built or greenlit for construction, about one-third of which are designated as permanently affordable. For perspective, in the first 35 years ADUs were allowed in Boulder, there were just 231 built. Kurt Nordback thinks Boulder will likely always have some degree of exclusivity, 
but he says everyday homeowners can make it more affordable and inclusive by choosing to build an ADU. It's a great feeling to know that we're now housing an additional person on our lot who otherwise would not be able to live there. And we have another neighbor, and it's great. The ADU model is also one of the more sustainable and affordable ways for a city like Boulder to innovate its housing options, especially as climate change grows more urgent. That's according to M.L. Robles, a Boulder-based architect who focuses on building ADUs. Both an attached ADU and one that stands separately from the main house can tap into existing utility lines, and a small space like an ADU can be more efficient with its surrounding environment. This can also mean cheaper utility bills for tenants, even those who rent an ADU at market rate. But an ADU can be more than just an eco-friendly box. Oftentimes an ADU looks just like, you know, a condo or an apartment. My goal is, no, these are little houses and you need to have the benefit. You can have a garden. Boulder is leading the charge in ADU development, but other cities have joined the bandwagon too. Nearby in Denver, rezonings of entire neighborhoods may now make it easier for potential ADU owners to get approved to build. And a law just signed in California allows for lots currently zoned as single-family to build up to three more dwelling units on the same land. But the ADU model is not a silver bullet. If the main house's owner chooses to sell, the ADU renter may need to find another place to live if they can't sign a new lease with the next owner. To be sure, no one housing strategy will entirely fix the dual housing crises of affordability and availability that plague Boulder and many other cities. But accessory dwelling units are one tool in the kit that many hope will be more useful in the coming years to ensure Boulder can welcome people from a wide variety of backgrounds, including Levy. No retirement home for me. I have a lot of things to do. I'm considering buying a horse. So there's a, a bunch of things on my agenda for the future. For KGNU, I'm Lucy Haggard. This story is part of a collaboration between the Solutions Journalism Network and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, highlighting affordable housing solutions across the Mountain West. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, November 2nd. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.